Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ladies and gentlemen, welcome welcome to State of the U Podcast Volume Two. Today we have on tap uh, all kinds of subjects that we're going to talk about, so we're going to get right into it. Who do we have on the phone today? Uh, Josh Mazers here. Hi, right, Josh. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hey, we got Sam here Thank also. You. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. I'm going to jump right into it. Um, the first subject we're going to talk about is the NFL Combine. Uh, you got guys like Central Henderson, Stephen Morris, um, Pat O'Donnell, and Alan Hearns all trying to make their NFL dreams come true. Uh, let's start off the, right off with uh, Mike. Mike, who do you think has the most to gain from the Combine, and, and where do you see these guys going? Um, I like two guys I thought had an interesting Combine. I thought Alan Hearns did pretty well. Um, but the main guy I thought was interesting was Pat O'Donnell running like the four or five forty. Um, I actually think he was a hair um, quicker than Kelvin Benjamin. So pretty athletic freak for um, a punter, and I'm glad he's doing really well. Excellent, Cam. What do you think? What about Sean Trail? You think he's gonna gonna make it in the NFL? Do you think uh, you know his up and down play in Miami is something to be concerned about, or is his massive talent something that's gonna carry him? Well, you know, I look at him like a center in basketball. You can't teach height. You cannot teach size. Um, he's six seven, three thirty one. He ran almost five flat um, in the hundred. Oh, sorry, in the forty. Um, and he just looks like an NFL offensive tackle. Mike Mayock and all the Twitter guys were raving about him, uh, just saying when he's out there, he looks like he's going to have a ten, twelve, fifteen year NFL career. Um, and it's really a question of if you can get him to be consistent, and I think that just kind of goes across the board. Alan Hearns, he's going to be what he's going to be, third round, fourth round, because he's consistent. Pat O'Donnell, same thing. Stephen Morris and Chantrell, not so much with the consistency, so they're going to have to really dig. And don't forget Brandon Linder also, who's out there uh, trying to make you know a name for himself. He's doing pretty well as well. That's right. I forgot about Brandon. He's the fifth of the five teams there. And uh, it's interesting you brought up Mike Mayock. Mike Mayock told me on the phone that uh, he expected Hearns to go between the fifth and seventh round, and his biggest concern for Hearns was separation. Um, how about you, Josh Kayser? What do you think about the Kings that are at the Combine? Anything in particular stand out to you? Um, nothing in particular. I think uh, everybody pretty much tested out uh, what we expected. Um, Hearns ran around like a 4-5-3, um, which is from Kane's fans, we – we can see that he's not the quickest guy out there. And uh, I think Mayock was right in saying that uh, separation could be a concern, but the, the production there speaks for itself, I think. And I think um, a team's going to fall in love with him and take him maybe fourth, fifth round, like uh, Cam said there. And um, Chantrell, uh, I mean, big is big, again, like Cam said. Uh, some some team's going to fall in love with his size, uh, take him – probably a little earlier than he should based on his production and his history. But um, I think uh, – I don't I don't think really anything changed for any of the guys uh, as far as testing-wise. I don't think that – I don't think they hurt or helped themselves really today. I agree, especially with, with Sean Trell. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Hearns ran 4-5, and anything south of 4-6 was great for him. Uh and Sean Trell, just across the board with his vert, with his bench, with everything, um, I think that's why everybody's talking about him, because he tested out so well 
now people are going to have to go back and really look and see, okay, how's our offensive line culture? How's our coach? Can we coach this guy up? Because if you look at him, he looks like he's going to be an all-pro for years. So with him, I respectfully disagree. I think that he's being talked about a whole lot more than he was, and being on people's radars like that is a positive thing for him. Excellent. And, uh, you know, I, I can't disagree. I heard that Suntrial ran right at a 503, which for a man his size is incredible. Um, you know, one of the other things Mike Mayer talked about when he talked about Suntrial was how he shut out um, Bjorn Warner, the great first-round defensive end on the Vikings that was on FSU two years ago. So you look at him, he's got a high ceiling for sure. Um, it, it's, it's buyer beware because... You know, he had the problem. He came out and said at the senior bowl that he had had some problems with marijuana. You know, he owned up to some of his problems. That's a step in the right direction. Uh, definitely has a starting NFL talent, though. All right, guys, for, for the next segment, this is going to be a quick one, and I hate to put you guys on the spot. Actually, I love putting you guys on the spot, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want you guys to give me what you think is the all-time bargain value pick of a Miami Hurricane in the NFL draft. And I know this is a tough one because there have been so many guys that have been drafted from Miami. We're going bargain basement value here. Who do you think is the best uh, uh, value per pick? And, Cam, we'll start with you. Ooh, the value pick? That's yeah. tough. Um, <laughs> man, I mean, if we're going recently, I would have to say maybe a Sam Shields. You know, he's starting in Green Bay. Uh, for them, and yeah, I know that he played receiver here, and now he's playing defensive back over there uh, in the league. Um, so that would have to be one. Maybe even sticking with Devin Hester, just because he was drafted a little lowly, uh, and you saw what he did for that Chicago team with punt and kick returns for years. So his value was so much greater than even his uh, draft slot in the second or third round. Mike G, how about you? Um, as a Redskin fan, we have had problems with pass rush up until the last few years, and the guy we really missed and he got really undervalued was Kalias Campbell. He went, I believe, second or third round, and we took Devin Thomas and Fred Davis, um, sandwiched between his pick. So we sorely needed a guy like that. Now that we're playing three, four, and and he's doing that in Arizona, and he's gone to all. He's been to Pro Bowl a few times, if I'm not mistaken. But um, Redskins fans know that name and have been bantering it around a lot. And so when you ask that question, he's the first guy that came up on my list for me. Josh, how about you? Um, I'm going to go with Frank Gore. Um, uh, not, the Niners got him, and I believe it was the first pick of the third round uh, when he was drafted, and he's been their all-time franchise leading rusher since then. Uh, I think that's pretty good value for uh, getting a guy down in the third round. All right, guys, and I can't believe nobody took my answer for this one. And you guys know me. You guys know I love Miami Hurricanes basketball. I got to go Jimmy Graham. I think he went, what, in the <laughs> second or third round? Yeah, that might be a whole thing for a tight end. Jimmy Graham, you know, only played one season of football. Uh, he was, in, you know, not a great basketball player, showed his athleticism on the hardwood, you know, has come in and has been, you know, perhaps the most productive uh tight end this league has seen in a long time since since Kellen Winslow the first came through. So I, I got to go Jimmy Graham for my all-time value picks, but I like your guys' answers. Mm-hmm. Good poll. All right, guys. So 
that's a nice little segue into the next part of what we're going to talk about. Uh, Jimmy Graham, former basketball player, University of Miami Hoops. You know, they've been having an up-and-down season, but they've won two in a row. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I'm not even going to ask if you think they're going to make the NCAA tournament, but they look now like they're solidified for the NIT. Um, let's start with Josh this time. What do you think so far about Miami Hoops? I mean, I think this season, um, if you're going to look at it as a whole, it's obviously not over yet. I think it's a little bit better than people had hoped for. Um, obviously, this was everyone saw this as a rebuilding year, uh, losing all those guys uh, to graduation and the draft and going overseas. It was just – it's an impossible situation, and I think that's just a testament to Jim Laranega as being such a great coach and really getting the most out of the guys he has right now. and really builds some momentum to next year when there's going to be uh, a lot more, um, I wouldn't say better players, but um, more heralded players, we'll say, on the roster. Cam, you did an outstanding job for us last week, uh, kind of covering the season from start to finish. Uh, what have you seen in the past two games, and, and how optimistic are you based on these last two performances? Um you know, I think that they're about at their ceiling, but they're playing really well right now. Uh, and, again, that's just a, co- a, a credit to Coach L. Following up on what Josh said, I believe that we will have better players. Um, and, I mean, I know that they go to the U and we don't want to criticize, but, like, honestly, we have guys who wouldn't play other places. Um, <laughs> we're going to have better players, uh, and we're going to continue it going. We're now – last time we spoke, we were a game under 500. This week, after two wins, we're a game over 500. Um so if we continue this, NIT could be in the future um, for us this year, and, you know, that can only give extra practices and extra games uh, and then hopefully lead us into this uh, trip to Spain over next summer, um, which can just bring our team even closer together, and we can just, you know, use that to spin forward and keep building. And I'm glad you brought that trip to Spain up. Uh, that, that brings up an interesting point. Something else uh, that we didn't really talk about last time too much was a player that um, – is coming from Spain via the Juco ranks, and Ivan Cruz Yuseta. That should be a nice little homecoming for him. And uh, our basketball consigliere, Josh Frank, uh, talked to me this morning and told me that Yuseta is having a great year in Juco, and he had 20-16 and 16 his last time out. So you never know what, uh, in the Juco ranks how competitive they are, but, um, you know, with that young man having a chance to go home and play in front of some of his family in Spain and, and what he's doing in the Juco ranks, he might be an under-the-radar Really, really good player for Miami next year. Uh, last but not least, Mike. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Do you think Miami can pull off the upset on Wednesday against Virginia? And, and what do you see in the last two games? Oh, man. I wish. But I think what we've seen, as kind of Cam and Josh alluded to, is Miami is what they are. You know, they're, they're an okay team. They try really hard. Um, it really, to be honest, like what I saw this week, depends on who they play. Because if the other opponent doesn't come out ready to go – they could bite you. You know, BC went and played Syracuse really well and beat them. Really big game. Came down here, they didn't play well. They played flat. Miami took advantage and won. You know, Miami played Notre Dame in a big, like I believe it was a 9 o'clock game. Came out, played a solid game, and won. So, I don't think they'll beat UVA. UVA is really good, um, really well coached. Um, he's been developing the team for the last two, three years. And now they're, to be honest, they're very, very good. Um, and it's nice to see UVA doing well, um, up here anyways. Uh, but you can only hope uh, to see Miami do well. Um, but if UVA comes out flat, Miami will give them a game. That's what you can expect from a Laranaga team. 
I couldn't agree more. And with that, I'm going to wrap up hoops for this week because, as Cam can probably tell you with uh, running our Twitter, that most of our followers really care a lot more about football than hoops, unfortunately. So <laughs> we're going to push forward. <laughs> Uh, we we have a, we have a good amount of hardcore fans. I, I think the numbers are a lot higher for football, though. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But but maybe that'll change in the next couple of years with how good the basketball team projects to do. Um, but moving forward, I'm going to start with Josh on this one. Josh, you did a couple of uh, nice uh, articles for us about what the depth chart might look like next year. You did one pre-signing day. You did one post-signing day. Uh, with spring practice right around the corner. With the exception of quarterback, which we kind of touched on a lot last week, uh, which battles in camp, spring camp, do you think are the ones that we need to keep an eye on? Wh- which ones are you going to look for? Um, the one I'm really keeping my on, eye on that I'm really interested in is uh, the starting corner opposite Tracy Howard uh, between Artie Burns and Ladarius Gunner. Um, I think uh, Artie Burns has got all the talent in the world. Uh, I th- his results at the uh, – when he was running track this past week, uh, one of the fastest under-20 kids in the country right now is a testament to that. And uh, I want to really see how he develops this spring uh, and see if he can go and steal with Gunter's starting spot. Gunter's a – I mentioned in my article, he's a solid starting corner, but I really want to see Burns uh, go and take his spot. That's what I'm looking forward to. So it's kind of like uh, you know what you're going to get versus a guy that's a little inexperienced but has a higher ceiling. Exactly, yeah. Right. Cam, how about you? Which matchups do you think are important uh, for the spring? Um, I'm really looking at the right tackle position. Um, since Malcolm Bunch transferred out, um, there's a hole there, so it looks like it's going to be Sonia Dugwu and Casey McDermott with maybe Trevor Darling in the mix. Um maybe even like a, a Taylor Gadboys or somebody else. Um, so there's really uh, no packing order there, but that's, that person's going to come in and start. Um, and I really look, hopefully, that Casey McDermott comes in and just takes and owns that job from, you know, starting on Saturday with day one of spring practice and goes through. Um, and like we've seen, we need to have those big guys up front to be successful, uh, Bill Connolly from um, Football Study Hall, one of our other SB Nation sites, wrote a great thing looking at offensive line value and what they did in the past year. And Miami came in ranked 12 overall. So hopefully we can continue to do that, um, and that's really going to be an integral part. So I'm looking at that right tackle for somebody to step up and own it from day one. Uh, Kim, how important is it that uh, McDermott, and I, I'm not sure, was Darling an early enrollee too? I know McDermott yeah. was. How important is an early enrollee? For those guys that get a shot to compete right off the bat. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's huge. You cannot overstate that. Um, because they're already on campus getting uh, acclimated to classes and college life, which is different than high school. I don't care what you say. It just is for anybody. Uh, and they've already been working out. They're going through Utah. Uh, they're, you know, doing their, their group meetings and everything. And it's a huge leg up. All these reps that they're getting with our college coaches just takes them into our system a whole step further. Uh, and that's going to be one of the things that people look at when I know there's a lot of people saying, we, we need Brad Kaya to come in right now and start. He's not hitting campus until May. All these guys have been on campus for five weeks already. You, I mean, it's, 
absolutely massive. You cannot overstate the value for that for someone trying to come in and play right away. That makes a lot of sense. Mike, uh, which battles are you looking at? Well, I'm glad you guys didn't take it. I thought somebody was. Um, but I have, of course, you know, I'll go with my defensive side. And I'm not going to go with the D-line per se because that's more of a rotational type thing. The better players play more, but it's more of a rotation. But specifically, when Shannon Green left, we have a lot of guys that can come in and play. Um, they're not seasoned as him, obviously, but, you know, you look at Tyreek McCord. You look at Al-Qadim Muhammad, Chad Thomas, Trent Harris, I believe, is on campus already, Demetrius Jackson. Now, a couple of the Frenchmen I met, freshmen I mentioned maybe redshirted, but that position is very much up in the air. McCord had a lot of bright spots last year, but if you go and break the play, play down, he had, unfortunately, sometimes he got blown off the ball a lot. Um, so it happens to everybody. Um, you just, you know, have to pick your spots where you're winning. So that position is very much open with, you know, Chad Thomas coming in and Aquadine Muhammad hopefully growing from last year. I remember in the pro, or not the pro bowl, the, um, the bowl game, uh, they said how he had grown a lot exponentially during those practices. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm excited to see that right now because we need, we need pass rushers and we brought in a lot this year and we need them to get coached up real quick. And we got to fill that position and go out and play. Uh, I'm going to stay with you on the defense, but I'm going to move back a little bit, and I'm going to say safety uh, is a position I want to see. I want to see if you know Dion Bush can bounce back. He had a great freshman year. You know, had some personal issues. His father being sick and some injury issues. Can he bounce back? I, I thought the safety play. And I don't want to mention any names or throw anybody under their bus, but I thought the safety play was the biggest glaring weakness on the entire team last year, even more so than defensive line, because tackles were missed on the back end and, and coverages were blown. And, uh, you know, I really look for the safety position, you know, to step up this year. A guy like Kai Hester, when he comes in in the fall, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the table. Um, we absolutely have to get better safety play. I think that goes without saying. All right, guys, yeah, next one um, segment. If you, anybody want to follow up on that segment? No, I was just going to say uh, we had 29 sacks, which is up from 13 uh, mm-hmm. a year ago, and blown coverages from safeties equals touchdowns, and we all saw that. So on both of the last two points, agreed. Thank you, Cam. All right, so, guys, the next thing I want to touch on is uh, – do our little segment that's a little bit non-Kane related, um, touch upon sports um, that don't necessarily have anything to do with Miami, but um, that might be of interest to some of our listeners. Uh, Ray Rice, biggest knucklehead in the world, or is there more to the story than, than we've been told? Cam, what do you think? Um, if you don't know, he's for our listeners, he was accused of uh, beating his or having an altercation with his uh, wife. Uh, and there's a video that you can find online of him dragging what looks to be an unconscious uh, companion out of a elevator. And it's striking because she's clearly incapacitated and it looks terrible. Uh, you cannot condone that, and I'm not trying to condone that. I want to get that straight. That being said, is there more to the story? Who knows? Because... We see what we saw on the video, and I don't know. I, again, I'm not trying to condone what we saw because it's striking and it's terrible. Um, but there probably is more to the story. So it's kind of both. Is he a jerk? Does he look like a, a gigantic, uh, you know, just you know, bad guy and things? 
Yes. Are there other parts of the story that we don't know? Also, probably yes. Uh, but in either case, it's definitely not a good look for him. Hi, right, Cam. Thanks for giving me a background story on that. I, I guess I assumed everybody had had seen that video because the number of hits it got on YouTube. But, um, yeah, definitely not a good situation. Not a good look. Um, Josh, what do you think? If you're the Baltimore Ravens, do you want that guy back in your locker room? Does it matter? They'll have to see more. Um, what, what do you think about it? Um, well, kind of like what Cam said, uh, if if it's true, and we don't and we don't know right now what exactly is true and what's not, um, it's kind of a new story still. But if it's true, there's absolutely no excuse for doing something like that. That's that's not somebody I want on my football team um, that I, that carries himself around like that. But um, in today's NFL, it's really we've seen guys stay on rosters for doing worse. Um, it's a if you can play league, we, we've seen that, and that works both ways. It works good ways and bad ways. Um, if Ray Rice can play and they feel like he can contribute, they're going to keep him around. But um, again, it's if it's true, and again, we might not know the entire story. Uh, that's just inexcusable behavior. Mike G, anything to add? I is not there's not really much to say. Um there's that one TMZ video. Um I know casinos have videos in their elevators cuz of course they have, you know, recorders everywhere, right? But uh they if they haven't released it, if they are going to release it, you know, to the public, you know, you have to see that because from what I understand the altercation was, you know, blows were being thrown by both parties involved. Obviously, um he was slightly stronger than her, you know, being an NFL running back. So, um, and we saw the results of what happened when he, you know, hit her. So, uh, you know, she will she press charges? We don't know. What's the video from inside the elevator? I haven't seen that yet. I don't know if it's available yet. Um, you know, it's not really my business to go searching for these things, but uh, it, it's not good. And there's not really much else to add, but. I mean, some people are saying you have to release him right away. Um, some people say, you know, he should get suspended for eight, four games, eight games. But, you know, what what do we know yet? We don't know that much. And without, with you know, the way the media is, they want to snap to judgment. We just have to be careful, you know, and figure out what's going on. But we don't know yet. Or I don't let, know. Let me, put you on, let, let me put you on the spot here, Mike, just to follow up to this oh, segment. Okay. Uh, you're the GM of the Washington Redskins. Oh, you're in Lord. playoff contention. You're in playoff contention. RG3 is lighting it up. Oh. You have a rash of running back injuries. You need a running back. Ray Rice is available. Do you take him? I mean, just purely based on on this situation, is this something that you wouldn't want in your locker room, or would it just be about skill on the field? Oh man, uh, gosh. I guess you would have. You would. You would. Take- I can hear you sweating through the phone, Mike. But go ahead. Um, I, I guess you would take him. I, I mean, if it, if it were me, because um, I, I guess I would take him if the team needed it. If the players on the team wanted him, I would have a meeting. I know almost every team has, like, a, a player council of, like, eight to ten players that meet weekly and discuss what's going on inside the locker room. But if I were the GM, I would consult with those players and the coaches. And if they could handle it, you know, the media brought, you know, kind of like a Tebow-esque type of media circus that could come to town with it. They say they can handle it, then, you know, you have to do what's best with the team at the time. 
So if it were me, I would follow that step. And if they said they could, then yes. And if they don't, then you go with what you've had, the players that brought you to the playoffs in that scenario. So that's right. how in I would the play. In the interest of not offending anybody else and, and not getting any lawyers uh, sending us hateful emails, I'm going to move on from this topic. Thanks, guys, for your for your honest answers. Um, Cam, let me ask you, did you watch Syracuse Duke last night? I did watch Syracuse Duke, and, man, was that a great game. <laughs> All right, Cam, I don't want to take anything away from the first 39 minutes and 50 seconds, but you got to tell me about that call. What did you think? Block charge and, and you know, what did you think oh, of Behan's reaction? Oh, okay. Well, those are two different things now, okay, because, uh, you know, John, our former blog manager, uh, is a Duke basketball fan, and there are two <laughs> – conversations. One, block charge, and then two, the reaction. So one, I thought it was clearly a block. Or Yeah, I thought it was a block. I thought he was moving on that. I did not think it should have been an offensive foul. Um, would Duke have had a chance to come down and win the game subsequently? Yes, obviously. Now, apart from that, Beheim absolutely lost it. Um, I've never seen anything like that. He, I mean, all the memes on Twitter of him looking like Michael Jackson or on the Titanic flying away because he's uh, throwing his jacket open and his tie is flying in the wind and things like that. He's yelling and he's screaming, you know, things that I can't say on this uh, podcast, you know, because family is very friendly. Uh, but he absolutely went berserk. Uh, and while the call was bad, in my estimation, Bayheim's reaction is what cost Syracuse the game. Um and C.J. Fair even took uh, in the post-game interview, and he said, we're down by one, and they hit three of the technical free throws and then get a bucket. So you tell me what cost us the game. Basically saying, Bayheim, if you would have kept it together, it would have been tough, but we still could have come down with a chance to tie. And I personally agree with that. Fine, the two things you said. First of all, John, our former manager, I put a post about, uh, welcome to the ACC Syracuse, you know, kind of like you're not really – uh, a member of the ACC until he gets screwed in Cameron. And uh, then John just wrote, wah, like really long. as <laughs> uh, The second thing, Cam, just to let you know, I don't know if the FCC has any, uh, uh, you know, policing of this. Uh, yeah, regulations of what we do on this podcast, but I appreciate you not cursing and not repeating what Behan said, but yeah. Uh, hey, no problem. Hey, and for those listeners who want to know, go look up the video. You can see it, and you can read his lips clearly. Yeah, his lips were clear to read. And I, the funny thing I, I thought about the whole thing is, uh, for people that have been Miami basketball fans for a long time, when the signature moves of former coach Frank Hayes, who now coaches at Missouri, any time a call went against Miami, he'd, like, rip his jacket off. That was, like, his signature, you know, I'm angry move. And I thought Beheim did like a half Michael Jackson, half Frank Heath type thing, and the whole thing is just hilarious. Um, yeah, it was. But we're, we're we're about two minutes left on this segment, or two minutes left on this episode. Uh, Josh and Mike, do you want to add anything on the Syracuse Duke uh, fiasco? No, I'm good. I think you guys got it pretty well down. Yeah, All right. I am pretty much summed it up. Uh, I agree. And so, guys, we really ripped through these segments pretty quick. I uh, appreciate everybody's answers. Um, this was fun to do, and I hope our listeners enjoy it. And uh, we can cut this one a little bit short, and I, I look forward to doing another one of these uh, next week.
thank you everybody for listening and thanks guys for hopping on. Thanks, thanks for having Gary. me.